Hello, this is Joseph Carlson, and this is episode 93 of Gaming with Grief, and I'm calling this episode Chain Quest. Uh, but let me do the intro first. So this podcast will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, uh, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there, let me th- know what you think of the show, uh, leave a comment, things like that, or you can go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast there. Uh, it is the Gaming with Grief podcast with Joseph Carlson. It's got a black background with smoke in it. I thought it looked pretty cool. Like, subscribe, give me some stars, all that kind of stuff, reviews. Appreciate that. Also, um, go to uh, Twitter. I'm there at justlittlejoe.com. Or if you want to drop me a line, you can do that. Uh, go to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. Go there uh, and write me an email. And then I'll read it over the show if you want me to. If not, uh, I won't. So this uh, is just called Chain Quest because it is just a continuation of uh, the review of the comic revival that came out on, uh, you know, in different volumes. I've been talking about it uh, off and on. And uh, so, yeah, this is going to be a review of volume uh, four. Uh, oh, September 24th, 2014 is when it came out. So that's when that... Uh, all the trade paper got back to the issues got collected into one uh, into one piece, and so I'm going to be reviewing that. Um, I'm thinking about it a lot. This issue was actually interesting because um, there didn't seem to be as many um, divergent things that happened. So it wasn't more about uh, big moves. It was just a continuation of things that had happened. Uh, the two sisters. Dana Cypress and M. Cypress. Uh, Dana is still trying to discover who murdered her sister, but is also racked with the guilt of um, basically covering up a murder of the Czech brothers. I mentioned them in the last um, in the last uh, series. They, you know, were trying to trade reviver meat with people. They got caught. Uh, they tried to kill Dana's son. And uh, M, the knee, the um, she was the aunt, basically, of Cooper. Um, she was there. She retaliated and killed the brothers. And that's in volume two. That's the big revelation where the white spirits that I've talked about that are in the woods that are saying weird things, they are the spirits of the people that are dead, and they're trying to find bodies of um, what's... Uh, they're trying to find the bodies of... Uh, what is happening? It also seems like they introduce, like again, this is a continuation of ideas that have been around since Volume One and Two. the The FBI is involved uh, in this issue with the trading the revival meat and the uh, blood of the revivers because it's an underground market and people think that they'll be healed. That was talked about in other volumes. This it really comes to head when the FBI comes to wasso wisconsin and they asked dana for help because she's the head investigator on these cases she's part of this task force uh she goes to new york and it was kind of cool to see you know the small town girl go to new york and her reaction uh to that and she believes one of the people uh the fbi comes to her and says we believe there's revivors in new york now and dana realizes this isn't uh something that's happening in new york it's an escaped reviver from I want to say uh, the second volume, there was an old man who was a reviver who was pretending to be um, invalid. 
he his kids were involved in a love affair. His um, I think his step, it was his stepkids. They were involved in like a love affair, like an incestuous love affair. They loved each other, and he uh, they poisoned him because he knew. And so he died on January 1st and came back on January 6th and pretended to be invalid, uh, killed his kids, uh, and then uh, escaped town. And Dana, the head of the investigators, knew this and, and couldn't stop him, and he escaped. Um, and he's in New York now. And there's this very interesting idea, and it's brought to more and more of the thing, is that um, almost like these people's souls are trying to get back in their body, and when Dana does meet up with this reviver uh, in New York, she says, I've been tracking you. And he says, I know. And out of the corner of her eye, she sees this white ghost kind of thing. It passes through her because she's not a reviver. It doesn't try to go into her like it does the other revivers. Uh, and she gives chase. Doesn't catch a guy. We'll come to find out. They, in- they investigate this uh, reviver organ farm thing more. And they discover that these rich people are basically having dinner and they're feasting on these revivers literally resorting to cannibalism uh, because they want to live forever and they basically purchase uh, a reviver body well lo and behold uh, the old reviver that dana has been chasing this old man who was a murderer pretends to be their supper and um they basically it shows these uh these rich people eating him uh, because they want to live forever. They uh, And he escapes. They start getting sick. And he mentions to Dana in like a standoff on the roof. He, he says, I'm not healing like I used to because for a week and a half, I've been eating nothing but mercury, basically. And it shows everybody downstairs puking and vomiting and they're sick. Um, and he says... Uh, and they do this weird thing. The revivers have this ability to like kiss you, but they can like steal your memories. And he does that to Dana, even though she tries to get him off him. And he sees that she killed the Czech brothers and all that stuff. And he says, you know what? I'll keep your secret safe. You just have to let me know um, everything that, you know, let me know what's happening. You know, like I'll be, I'll basically be, I'll either make your life a living hell or I'll go to police. And what's really interesting is uh, Dana says, well, um, you know, I hate to be mean, but I have other people here with me. And he says, what, the police? And she says, no. And that's when his soul comes back and goes into his body. And it, uh, and then he spontaneously combusts, like we've seen other people do in other volumes, and he dies. Uh, it, and there's this new subplot introduced that it was maybe one frame in one of the old volumes that there was a fetus that was a ghost, a ghost fetus that was crying in the woods. And you come to discover that M, uh, Dana's younger sister, was actually pregnant with uh, Aaron, the professor's uh, baby. And M is now starting to get sick. and She's vomiting up blood and all this stuff, and she doesn't understand what's going on because she's dead and was revived, and I think she doesn't... That's like the farthest thing from her brain. But it's introduced because the crying happens over and over again in the woods, and it's near this other reviver's house, and it keeps him awake at night, so he starts staying away from his home. He's an old, in-shape white guy. Uh, I mentioned it before, the fact that um, he was the one involved in the snowmobile accident. He thought he was so gifted and amazing, but realized it doesn't really matter in the end. 
you know, the snow will get you a moment's notice of a mistake will get you. It doesn't matter. Uh, and that's what he discovers in the end. Um, but he goes to a friend of his that's a native of the area, Native American, and says, what do I do? I want to kill this thing. It's crying in the woods. It's driving me crazy. And they perform a ceremony. And the fetus, uh, the spirit vanishes of this fetus. And M, towards the end of the issue, wakes up and she can feel something moving inside of her. So I don't know uh, what's happening with that. Obviously, we're, we still have several issues to go. It'll probably be explored. But uh, there's regret. The old man has regret at the end. He says, you know, that thing just wanted to live. I don't know what I did. Um, uh, I'm sorry for what I did. It just wanted to live. And I don't, I don't know if that's a, a take on abortion or, you know, uh, it is a living thing that is dead. Um, I don't know if it's a heavy-handed thing with abortion. I think it's just the natural turn of things, you know. This thing was just crying, and I think he he didn't at first realize what it was, and then as he looked at it, he realized it's it's that what it is. It is what it is, and it's terrible. I What really hits home a lot, there's a great scene in this where uh, the son, Cooper, you know, has been through a lot. Those Czech brothers tried to kill him. He was saved, and he gives this great speech about his, well, the adults, uh, basically in town. He says, you know, everything... You guys told us to make us feel safe is wrong. You know, everything that you told us not to fear uh, is back. You know, the dead do come back. Uh, they do mean to hurt us. Uh, and parents always say that they always protect their kids. You always said you'd be there for me, Mom, but I know you're not there. And, you, you know, you weren't there and you couldn't save me. They were going to do it anyway. And uh, it happens to all of us. We all grow up and we realize, you know, the world isn't as we think it is when we're a kid. But... It is tragic. I think it's the analogy I like to use is, you know, again, we've, uh, that's what this whole podcast is about, is about death and things like that. Um, I understand that death happens. I understand uh, that loved ones. But li like I've said before, you know, you want to have um, as much time as possible being with the ones you love and spending time with them. And when it cuts short, when you believe it's cut short, it's tragic. I mean, when it happens at all, it's tragic. But uh, you know, for some people it is cut short. Um, and I think the same thing goes along with innocence in a way. You know, um, Coop, even though he's a fictional character in his book, he realizes things aren't as they seem. And, you know, he's a kid. He's probably 10 or, well, he's probably 10 or 11, maybe 12. But that idea of innocence, you want that, you want a kid to have, you know, he was playing with action figures and playing video games. And you want someone to have as much time as possible. It made me think of other types of, Tragedy, you know, like maybe some kids suffer abuse or, um, you know, maybe they see things when they're young that they shouldn't. They have to go to therapy for it. They have to, you know, there's sexual assault that happens. And that idea of being innocent being robbed from you is, it's terrible. It's it's one of those things in life. And I think even though there's a lot of crazy things that happen in this uh, this issue, like I said, in each one of these, there's one scene that really encapsulates the old issue or I keep thinking about it. More than the other issues, not to say that it isn't interesting or whatever, but I think uh, this scene with Cooper is really amazing. You know, it's only a few panels, uh, but he talks to his mom and says, you know, you weren't there for me. And he kind of realized he sees the world for what it is now. And even though he's young, he's 12, like I said. So for him to do that, it's, it's terrible. And we all kind of have to come to that, you know, like even me, again, I wanted to have as much time with my parents as possible. But when that you know, when they die, I mean, when my wife had a miscarriage, you always read about miscarriages. Uh, you know, my son died in the hospital. 
you always read about things and think you're like, oh, that's terrible for someone. But you know, when you actually experience it, it makes it makes everything real. And it, I mean, it is real. It really happened. But it it changes who you are and how you deal with things. You know. And I'm at home sick now for the next couple, the past day or so, day and a half. Uh, and now because of COVID, I have to take a COVID test and wait uh, for the results. Um, and I think some of it, like I've just been working a lot of overtime. I'm just exhausted. I just can't get any energy, but I do feel sore. I have some light headaches. So that mimics COVID. So I have to stay home. I have to quarantine. I'm kind of doing the right thing. Um, I'm waiting for the COVID test. But I was thinking a lot of it too. Work is kind of a monotonous grind at this point since there's been some changes at work and I haven't been I mean with this podcast I've obviously had a creative outlet but there's been other things I want to do I've had story ideas I haven't written as much as I need to and I really think it's one of those things where I'm just kind of depressed you know like the weight of things kind of comes down a little bit on you you know especially when you get reflective or depressive or you know some people suffer from seasonal depression and stuff and it kind of just comes around uh, you know, grief happens in a wave. Sometimes it comes around. And I, I think lately I've really thought of that. I've thought about, you know, am I living up to my own potential? You know, am I, all these ideas I have, all these things I want to write down, I'm, you know, I'm not. And work is not something that it's like, oh, you know, there's rough days, but it's okay. Now it's becoming, it's turning the other way where it's kind of becoming a grind, you know, um, without getting into it too much. Uh, basically at work, we were given an ultimatum and that's all I'll say. And it's terrible at work. I work in a production facility. It's terrible when you're given an ultimatum. It makes you feel, I don't know, like a cog in a wheel that will never stop turning. And, you know, before it was, okay, well, today was a rough day, but tomorrow will be better and stuff like that. And now it's just getting to the point where you're like, well, this is never going to end. <laughs> and I think with that and the fact that I've worked a lot of overtime and just the fact that I kind of know in my brain that I'm not really living up to what I need to do, it's kind of... Uh, you know, it's weighing on me. I think my body just had enough. Thursday, something really didn't go my way at work. Uh, it was something out of my control, and I wasn't feeling right. And as things started to go wrong, it was just one of those things where, like, is this really worth it, you know? I don't think it's worth it. Uh, so I went home, and I took care of myself. And, um, you know, you should out there, too. If you, I've said it many times in the podcast, but I really mean it. If you, you know, feel sick or mentally don't feel up to snuff, please go see someone. It's it's more, it's more worth it more for your discomfort to find out what's going on and see, uh, you know, what you can do. Because I, you know, going to therapy, I know what I need to do. I need to be more creative. I need to have more of a creative outlet. I feel better when I write. Uh, I need to do that more. Uh, but lately, I've kind of fallen off that, and it really affects my, my mental well-being. Um, and, yeah, I think all that's kind of coming ahead reading this for the the issue, you know, reading uh, really Cooper's speech really brought it home. The idea that, you know, he has now seen the world for what it is and you have to deal with that, you know, and we all have to deal with that. So, um, again, I'll stop this here, but I'll go on when I do volume five. Uh, and, uh, you know what? Uh, see you guys. I'm back. Um, and I'm here. I'm going to review volume five of Revival. Um, this volume is called gathering of waters and uh it was published or collected on may 13th uh 2015 um so yeah i finished it uh it was really good it's kind of uh broadening out the myth mythos of the revived 
it seems to take place, um, at least some of the characters have traced like a source of the water back to uh, like a mine in the center of uh, Wausau, Wisconsin. Uh, M is there, the college student I told you about that died as a reviver. There's a reporter who first discovered, uh, May Tao, who first discovered uh, Revival Day and uh, was there when the first person was revived. And there's also, you know, I didn't, it sounds terrible, but I didn't write his name down. He, oh, Blaine, his name is Blaine. He's like a demonologist, crazy person. Um, and they are kind of trying to find what happens is M, the college student, finds out again. Uh, I mentioned before she's having an affair with her college professor, and uh, she finds out that she's pregnant, which puts her in a really weird position. She doesn't really know what to do, so what she does is she asks these people to help her because they're really her only friends, and they go searching for Aaron Weiner, who was, uh, you know, her, uh, she's having an affair with. Uh, I mentioned him in a past the past episode, um, he actually was drowned uh, in this mine, uh, in this area, this center where maybe the revived are coming from. Uh, and that, and there's there's really two things this issue focuses on. One again is the uh, it's come to the attention of some of the people in town that there is a concentration camp of revived that the government is set up to study the revived to make sure they're not um, contagious. But it is a concentration camp, so um, some people find out about it. They go to picket it, and the people that go are revivers. So they say, you can't kill us. They start singing hymnals. They're religious. Uh, one of them crucifies themselves in front of the facility and says, you know, we want our people to be let free. We don't want to be locked up in cages. Uh, it's really, really interesting. Uh, there's also more to do with um, one of the victims is a burn victim. They go into more um, history of him, that he was the first person on Reviver Day to be revived. Supposedly, he climbed out of the cremation oven. Because of his unique situation, most revivers don't feel as much pain, or if they feel pain, it goes away. Because he was in midway of being burned when he was revived, he now is in this perpetual state of his nerves healing and feeling being burned and it going away and then him feeling being burned. So he's in this concentration camp and he's actually in a tank of cold water with medication. And he finds out, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 pages in that his daughter has died. And he's totally heartbroken. The fact that his daughter uh, committed suicide possibly. And he, uh, and it's revealed that, uh, it seems like it's his kid or his relative is actually making him do these things for a reason that he was involved in Aaron Weiner's death. He strangled Aaron Weiner and put him Weiner and put him Weimer and put him in the tank that's in the middle of the town that may be causing this reviver stuff. Like more of these threads are being connected in the issue. For me, it's, you know, I always talk about like the one big scene in the issue that sticks with me. And I think what it is, it's the fact that um, there's a scene kind of towards the end of the issue where one of the revivers is the mayor's wife. He has been keeping under wraps because he doesn't want her to be registered or found out by the police because obviously the police and law enforcement are trying to um, catalog all the revivers. He doesn't know about the concentration camp. He finds out about that later. He tells his wife that they have a big day in front of them and she is suicidal. In fact, it seems 
to me that uh, what they brought up is that she committed suicide on January 1st, which was Revival Day. So, of course, she comes back on the 2nd. But she is still perpetually trying to commit suicide. He comes home in several volumes, and she has been swallowing pills or trying to stab herself. She's just trying to end it. She has uh, probably clinical depression and a lot of other issues. Um, and so he's just trying to deal with you know his wife, and he sees this issue and says, you know what can I what can we do? He finds out that the FBI is trying again to catalog revivers, and it upsets him because it's his town. And so he makes this big. This is kind of the scene that really. Well, there's two things. The the I'll, I'll get to the other scene later. So this scene, what happens is he takes his wife to. Uh, there's a press conference with the FBI, and he ex- basically explains what happened and is explaining it to the press as they come in because he basically wants to uh, out the government for doing this to people and he you know and the FBI is there and they're kind of mumbling themselves and they're the CDC people that they got played that they didn't understand this was going to happen um but the the mayor brings his wife in and says this is my wife and she's a reviver and this isn't something that happens to someone you know far away from me this is something that happens uh you know to me so that's why I care so much about what happens to uh the revivers you know we can't put them in cages we can't do this you know my wife is one of them And he explains that she suffered from uh, clinical depression and that, you know, her dying and coming back is giving her another, another, um, another chance at life. But what he doesn't know is there a terrorist organization in town led by a racist old man um, named Holt. Uh, I think Lester Holt. Anyway, he, I probably got his name wrong, but he is an old racist old guy and he's basically... You know, wants to stick it to the government. He thinks it's run by Jews and Muslims. And uh, he gives her, the wife of the mayor, he gives her a bomb. And she stitches it in her body. And at the right time, after the mayor's done introducing her, she uh, detonates the bomb. She shows everybody what it is and detonates it. And it kills a lot of people. Uh, Luckily, the... Sorry, luckily the uh, one of the revivers was there. She um, gets the chief of police out, who is Dana Cyprus's father. She gets him out of the building before it explodes. And her and the other revivers go back uh, because this is at City Hall. They've been jailed there, apparently, uh, for protesting, like I said, at the concentration camp. The revivers that were there that couldn't die. They were arrested, and they were there, and they were part of the press conference but they go back in and they start trying to save as many people as they can that obviously are not revivers uh, that will not come back. And uh, the mayor is totally, like his leg is blown off. He's bleeding profusely after the bomb. And he asks one of the revivers, he said, am I, her name is Pam, I think. And he says, am I going to die? Or am I going to make it out okay? And she says, no, you're going you're gonna to die, but you're not going to die alone. And she holds his hand uh, when he passes away. And I don't know, the the scene is shocking, um, and it's uh, pretty crazy, but uh, I think what sticks with me is the fact that there's kind of a selflessness in this issue, the fact that there is so many people willing to help uh, other people when they know, um, you know, something's not going their way or something's going wrong or whatever, um, you know. It's something that I wish more people had, and I think for some reason it just stuck with me. You know, they they really set it up being very 
angelic and crazy that these revivers are going in and saving not crazy but uh selfless as these revivers are going in and saving people that they're making sure that you know everyone is safe and sound and i think the second scene that stays with me is it's more in the origins of what is going on with the town uh they find uh, andrew weimer's body in this well in the middle of this mill town m her friend may and blaine and they dig him out, and he is a zombie. It's not that he's a reviver. It's that something in the water is just keeping him alive enough. And uh, M does a trick, which other revivers do, which I've talked about, where if a reviver uh, kisses you or touches you, they can like take memories from people. So she tries to take memories from uh, Andrew and see what he saw, which was he was in India. He wanted to know the secrets of life. Some tour guide was taking him on the river and showed him another ceremony, another way to extend life. And it took a human sacrifice and it took um, blood, blood magic. And so what happens is he starts researching things in Wisconsin and he finds that one of the location matches one of the locations in India, meaning the it seems that the river layout is the same. Uh, maybe the waters are a spring water. And it's not really led to the idea if, you know, he started it or did it, or if uh, he just discovered it was there. It seems a little maleficent. And it also gives a lot of credence to like this kind of undead uh, idea. Uh, maybe it was a ritual that caused these people to be revived. Uh, in fact, M and Blaine and May Tao find Reviver Fish around. Uh, they see the memories of Blaine, M does, and she begs Blaine because now that she's pregnant, she says, you know, I'm going to have your baby. For whatever reason, he burns just like the other Revivers when they find peace. It's kind of alluded to in one of the other volumes I talked about that uh, the guy Joe... Uh, didn't get the wedding ring or the love that he wanted, but somebody gave him a ring that they made and said, you know, your soul deserves peace. And, um, yeah, it was really moving, and he burned. And so Andrew, after all this happens, and MCs everything he went through in India to find out the secrets of this thing and kind of the heartbreak, uh, he burns, and the fish in the water around the mill burn. So it's almost like an ending or a peace or some kind of like, you know, we've seen it before in movies and things. When someone's at peace, they finally, um, you know, burn. And um, it's actually crazy because it um, there's a massive revelation. They come home. Everybody's kind of in shock. Uh, Blaine goes nuts. He believes in demonology, that there's demons. He does exorcisms. And he hurts may tau because he said you know you're standing in my way of fighting evil you know m is evil she came out of that unscathed you know she's the what like the jezebel of satan basically he's kind of reciting bible passages and things like that and um it ended on a cliffhanger it looked like he hit her she may or may not be dead i hope not i actually like may tau i hope she's not dead and you know it's it kind of ends with the aftermath at the city hall with people trying to clean up the reviver bombing so that's going to change, obviously, what people think of revivers. They're no longer this benevolent people. You know, they're actually terrorists now. So what's going to happen there? And what's going to happen with the group? What's going to happen with uh, Dana? 
uh, and uh, M, her sister. Uh, now M asked May early in the issue after she, she told May, like, I'm pregnant. And she said, is my baby just like me? Is my baby dead? And M says, I, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, May says, I don't know. M says, I, I don't want this to happen. And she says, well, I, I don't know, you know. So there's still some questions that are answered. It actually kind of ended on a cliffhanger. So I'm actually going to go read the next issue and kind of prepare for that. Um, I really like the show. And before I get too much uh, into TV, I've been actually watching uh, WandaVision on Disney+. And it amazes me that the whole season of WandaVision, it's, or it, I guess it's just one season, it's nine episodes. There's one episode left. There is um, the whole thing's about grief. And it's kind of examining Wanda's life through grief. Uh, and Vision has a very good line to Wanda. You know, she is grieved. It's a flashback when they were in the Avengers compound. Uh, and he says, you know, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't say this. But, um, you know, I was just reading and just to paraphrase him, he says, what is grief if not love preserving? You know, persevering, basically. And um, that's an amazing sentiment, you know. And I thought about it a little bit. I heard that and then thought about it while I was reading this. You know, what is what is grief except love persevering in a way? And um, I guess that's a really nice way to look at it. Um, so I'm going to go read the next volume of Revival. Please uh, get it. Read it on Comixology. It's very good. I know I just spoiled it all. But I've been trying to be clear and concise with my reviews. But, you know, I'm just trying to big, pick the big bits. So, you know, to really get a good nuanced take of this, uh, check the whole thing out. But I will be back soon with the final bit of this episode and the final review of uh, the next volume of Revival. So, hey, welcome back. I'm back. Uh, it's very early in the morning and I'm recording this. I just finished reading. Uh, actually, last night I finished reading uh, volume six of Revival. Uh, this uh, volume is called Thy Loyal Sons and Daughters. And it the volume came out on December 30th, 2015. Uh, it's written and drawn by the same people, uh, Mike Norton, Tim Seeley, I think is how to say their names. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, and apparently in the back of this issue, there was, uh, you know, back in the, the before times when people could go to comic book conventions, uh, people came to conventions and dressed as the main characters, which is crazy to see. Uh, I, I guess not crazy, but it's weird for an independent comic to have that kind of uh, following. For me, anyway. I'm used to, um, you know, uh, I'm used to, um, like, you know, spandex superhero type traditional stuff. And, um, you know, to see and like people be moved by an independent comic, uh, is pretty neat. Um, anyway, uh, onto the issue. So this issue, everything's kind of getting more focused in a direction i like that like the mystery of what's happening i talked about it last uh, section of this podcast um it's uh great um but i like it because the government is now involved after the events of last uh volume uh it was discovered there was a concentration camp the bombing uh the the military gets involved there's um I didn't actually write her name down because she goes by like two names. Anyway, um, she's a general or a colonel and she uh, is running the base and she starts running experiments on the people inside 
she has been seeing that there's been those white ghosts that have been kind of attracted to the compound, the farm as they're calling it. And she allows one of them, they capture one, and she allows one of them to enter the body of one of the revived. But we find out that it is not like we've seen before. It's not the right spirit. This uh, ghost goes into the, the soul, goes into the body of a man, and he sees all of her memories. And it's of the religious leader, uh, Janine Pazinski. I think she's Polish. Um, anyway, it's her soul. But this, this guy um, sees, he's a young guy, and he sees you know her life, that it's kind of like repressed. She can't even kiss someone. Her dad is old-fashioned. All she wants to do is, when she was young at least, is to just make out with somebody, to fall in love. Uh, kind of a nice... I don't know, it's a trope, but I, I like it. The idea that like things just don't work out your way in life. So the soul exits his body and he starts saying her name and that, you know, he wants to kiss her. And so the military is recording everything, obviously, and they put it together that it is her soul. And so they want to see what happens when they allow the right body and the right soul to connect, as it were. And it's exactly what's been happening in the other volumes. The soul goes into the the body, and she basically burns, immolates, uh, spontaneous combustion, whatever you want to call it, and dies. And everybody says, that's not what I was expecting. But the military concludes, the general concludes, uh, the person in charge of the facility concludes, oh, these people have always been dead. You know, they're just, uh, you know, they're kind of operating outside of, um, you know, they're, They've kind of just been waiting to be dead, dead for a while is basically what she says. So what happens is through a series of events, which is very long and convoluted, uh, M, the college student, uh, gets caught and put in the facility. Uh, so she's in with all the other revivers, and she's obviously very miserable. Um, but that burn victim that I told you about in the other issues, he is there, and he basically is a an assassin and someone allows him to leave the facility to complete tasks. And he's given the task of killing M. Uh, and somebody tells him one of the guards is working with him and says, um, you know, uh, luckily for you, she's not far away. His name is John black deer. Uh, early on, we find his name is John black deer. His daughter, uh, died a few issues ago, uh, like a volume ago. And he's just, wants to, he he just wants to join his daughter so he basically kidnaps M. he knows he can't kill her and she says why are you doing this you know we 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 know we both can't die this is ridiculous and he says well no and this is kind of the scene that sticks with me um is the idea that uh no i can't kill you but i can at least keep you silent you know there'll be silence and he's really racked over the guilt of his daughter passing away and how that affects him. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty powerful. And what happens is uh, Dana finds out about what's been going on with M. Uh, they kind of do a flashback because in the last volume or in the middle of the comic, you know, M gets put in this facility in the beginning and they keep, they have like the next day and it's like, Somebody comes to M and says, hey, your sister's here. She wants to talk to you. But then something happens, and M cannot. There's an altercation with two of the revived. 
so they don't let Dana in. But the idea is Dana's kind of figuring out what's going on. And she she gets John Blackter's soul, the spirit, to kind of follow her because she realizes kind of what's been happening and what the you know, she did it earlier with the um, the guy who was uh, eating mercury and um, you know making the the rich people sick and killing them, and so she figures all this out and basically baits the spirit into following her um, to M. She kind of tracks them through the woods. She's driving a car, but she she basically gets the spirit of John Black Deer and um, and and uh, John Black Deer's body in the same place. And at right before he's about to kill M, uh, he uh, the spirit enters John Black Deer's body, and he says one last thing to M. She says, "Who killed me?" And he says, "It's the person who made us." And then he burns away, just like we've seen countless times with the emulation and all that. It's actually animated really, really well. I don't think uh, they have brought up this idea of it being not so much uh, your soul going back into your body, but also like a kind of rest. So this idea that you have unfinished business or your soul needs to be complete or you need to have something uh, good or positive happen to you or you need some kind of respite from what's going on is kind of like a theme. It's a little tropey. But as I've been playing D&D more, uh, without getting into a big tangent, I realize that tropes aren't bad. It's okay to be the quiet uh, mage. It's okay to be, uh, you know. Anyway, I don't think tropes and cliches are a bad thing. I think they can help, you know. Even the stuff I said earlier about Dana, you know, wanting to be a police officer, I thought was a little bit cliched, you know, to put the world in order. That's kind of an old cliche. But uh, I think it works. And it makes her character what it is, and I think it's great. And I don't think, I don't think cliches should be looked down upon so much. I think. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that last image, almost last image, kind of like the climax of M almost getting killed, and then uh, the guy burning away and saying, you know, the, you know, she said, "Who killed me?" And he said, "It's, uh, you know, whoever made us." And uh, that was, it was animated really beautifully. And then it's kind of discovered at the end after the climax that uh, Dana is kind of on the run because she did shoot a guard that tried to take out M. I uh, didn't kill him, but she wants to figure out who killed um, her sister. She wants to figure, you know, she goes, I, I've I've forgotten, you know, why I was here and what I was here to do. And I, I want to do right by you and protect my family. Um, and then she... T- uh, Later in the comic, it's discovered Dana has a big heart-to-heart with her father, who's the sheriff. And you kind of realize that um, they said that uh, the the father said that their mom died when they were young in a in a, an accident. Um, but Dana says, you know, I'm a cop, and I figured it out. I looked through things. I, I I knew that mom wouldn't do this and that. Dana realized when she was very young that her father basically covered up the. He was negligent. He drank a lot. He was in the car with his wife. And because he was drunk driving his wife, he was in a wreck and his wife died. So he he basically uh, covered it up with the mayor, like talked to the mayor, who was another cop of how they were going to, you know, cover things up and do stuff. And it was uh, it was really interesting uh, to have that kind of like loophole closed about what was going on. You didn't know if it was nefarious or anything, but definitely... Uh, you find out it was. It was just. It, it's nefarious that he covered it up. Obviously, and it's terrible. 
but it's negligence, right? Like he, he didn't like mean to kill his wife. He didn't do it in a fit of rage, but you know, he led to her death and, um, that was good to close that loop on that. And, um, I don't know. Again, it's that last image of John Blackbeard getting burned. I think that is so, I mean, we've seen it other points in the comic, but it was so touching here to see him burned like that. Um, kind of his final gift. It was very poetic. And, um, yeah, what did I come away with that? Um, you know, again, it's all fleeting. Even these revivers, uh, when the soul meets up with them and they they somehow get closure, um, you know, these things will happen and they will be gone. So yes, you're given another chance and some of the revivers are benevolent. They're helping people. You know, they early on with the bombing, the revivers went in and helped the people get out of the bombing. Uh, but it, it doesn't matter. At the end, uh, you have a finite amount of time. And um, it's fleeting. And although I'm kind of interested in the mystery of like who created this and all this, it seems like, unless it was some weird ritual, which it might be, it seems like it's just a byproduct of the natural circumstances at that mill. Something led to that happening. It probably is. They kind of allude to it be, maybe being some kind of evil blood magic. I think I talked about it in the last part of this. But um, I'm really looking forward to see where it goes uh, from here. And, um, yeah, again, I think that was the biggest thing. Left me, the poeticness of the rest. He seems to be one of the few. There's only one other reviver I can remember in there that had that happen. The other one was uh, being uh, cut up by the checks, and they were selling his uh, body parts for money. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, he, Johnny Black Deer was actually, seemed to be at peace and at rest when he finally immolated, which I think is really interesting. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm going to leave it. And, uh, yeah, that's this episode. So, um, why don't I do the outro? So, again, this podcast uh, will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there. Let me know what you think of the show. Um, I don't, I normally do video games and stuff like that, but this week I'm obviously, you know, the past couple weeks I've been trying to circle back and finish things I started. Uh, so let me know what you think. Leave a comment there. Um, let me know how I can improve the show. Uh, or you can go to iTunes, go there, um, and subscribe to the podcast. It's the gaming with, gaming with grief podcast with Joseph Carlson. It's got a black background with smoke. You can go to Twitter at just little Joe. I'm there. Or if you want to drop me a line. Go to G, uh, go to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. Uh, drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know, again, what I can improve. And um, it's been great, guys. I think I got this whole um, mic stand thing figured out. I'm still trying to improve the audio quality of everything. Um, I'm working on some stuff now to kind of make a space to uh, record uh, in a better kind of sound quality, like... Maybe do some sound batting in here. Uh, number one is this room doesn't have a door. I have a curtain. So I'm, I'm trying to get a door right now. And then uh, I have hardwood floors in here. So I'm probably going to get some carpet. Like boring, boring sound stuff that I'm, I'm researching, like cheap sound solutions. Um, we're doing some remodeling in my little, little house. And so maybe it's like moving. It's really just moving things from one place to another to try to make the most of the little space we have. So anyway, you guys have a good week. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you.